I've entitled this this morning, um, A Journey with Jesus. And journey is um, a very, it's a buzzword. It's a very popular word, both in, um, in, in the sacred world and secular world. Everybody wants to feel that they're on a journey, wants to feel like they're getting somewhere. Um, and we have talked um, even both on uh, individuals and um, we have talked um, as, a, as a, a fellowship of believers about being on a journey. And I want to unpack that a wee bit this morning. I looked up the, the dictionary definition of uh, the word journey and at its simplest, it's just going from A to B. It's all about geography. You start off at A and you end up at B. Um, and that's the simplest um, uh, definition of it. But the meaning that we have in mind is probably closer to the second one there. A long and often difficult process of personal change and development. And that resonates with a lot of us, doesn't it? A long and often difficult process of personal change and development. It's more arduous. It's more challenging, and it's much less about the geography, about getting from A to B, than about what happens along the way, the process along the way. And then there's another definition. I don't know if you'll be able to see this terribly well in this slide. I'll read it out for you. It says, an experience or process that leaves you changed. A trail of experience from here to there. And as we journey, both individually and corporately, Jesus wants to change us. It's not about geography. It's not about where we go. It's about what Jesus does with us along the way. And sometimes that journey is arduous and difficult. But often it's through those difficult circumstances that God does change us and he transforms us so that he can fulfill his purposes through us. And we all like to feel like we're on a journey because the opposite to being on a journey is being on a hamster wheel. That manic activity, but you're getting nowhere. And I wonder, does that resonate maybe with some people here this morning? I have lived on that hamster wheel um, for a good portion of my life. In fact, it's my default. Activity is my default. Um, and at any stage in my life, I could jump right back on that wheel where it's, it's manic activity, but you're getting nowhere. There isn't a sense of focus, of purpose, of God having his hand on your life and directing your steps. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to jump on that hamster wheel on a Monday morning and then it's go, 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 go. And you, you get off it quickly on a Sunday and you come in here and you hear from God. But before you have a, time, a chance to process it, you're back on that wheel again come Monday morning. And it's not a very satisfying experience. And so if, if that is you this morning, I want to encourage you to get off the wheel. And it sounds easy. But for people like me, it's maybe not so easy. Um, Desi and I have had a discussion more than once where Desi has said, you need to make time for yourself. You need to make time for your family. You need to make time to hear from God. And more than once, I have replied a little bit tetchily. <laughs> Shocking, I know. 
Um, Desi, there only are 24 hours in a day. I can't make any more than that. There's no such thing as making time. And my 24 hours are allotted. But I want to acknowledge this morning, I'm hoping to get brownie points from this, that actually Desi's right. <laughs> and you can make time. No, you can't make any more than 24 hours in a day, but you can prioritize. You can prioritize what is important over what you perceive as urgent. There's lots of things that we perceive as urgent and they crowd in on our time and they keep us on that hamster wheel. But you know what? You need to prioritize what is important and God shows you that. If you take time with him, that's how you get off the hamster wheel. If you take time with him, hear from him about what is important and then intentionally obey what he's telling you. And that's how you join the journey. And he gives you then the purpose and the direction and significance, the sense of goals and, and guidance that you need on the journey. And as we think um, about unpacking this idea of journey, I want us to read about two disciples who were on a journey. And we're reading from Luke chapter 24. Verses 13 um, to 35, and I'm going to read it for you here. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. That's the, the death of Jesus. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they find the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. These two disciples were on a journey. We don't know much about them. Uh, We know one of them was called Cleopas. There is a school of thought that maybe the other was his wife. We don't know for sure. They weren't uh, part of the inner 11, but they were followers of Jesus nonetheless. And we joined them on a journey. It was only seven miles, so not much geographically, but it was going to be huge for them spiritually. And leading up to this, when we joined them on this journey, They had been followers of Jesus. They had seen Jesus work. They had heard him speak. Verse 21, they say they are believers. They believed that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. Now, they had certain fixed ideas how that was going to happen, that he was going to drive out the Romans and set out his new kingdom of righteousness and justice. And there's a bit of irony in that because that's exactly what he came to do. Um, But they had very fixed ideas about how that was going to be accomplished. But leading up to even a week before it, they were full of excitement. They had seen what Jesus could do. They had seen um, him act. They had heard his words. They had seen as he had come into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and people had been waving and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were going to be part of something big and they were full of excitement. And then in the space of a few days, everything changed. Because just in the space of a few days, Jesus was arrested. He was tortured. He was sentenced to death. And he was executed. And whether or not they stood at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus die, there was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was dead. And as Jesus died, their hopes and their dreams died with him. Please understand, these two were not just having a bad day. This was not just a bit of inconvenience for them, a bit of a change of circumstances that was a bit frustrating. This was devastating for them. Their whole foundations were rocked. They even lost their faith. Because the stories had come through that Jesus was alive. The women had told them the tomb was empty. Now, In those days and in some countries still today, um, the testimony of a woman isn't seen as very reliable. But Peter had been. He had seen that the tomb was empty. He hadn't seen Jesus, but he could verify what the women said was true, but they couldn't believe it. And so they packed it all up and they set off back home. They gave up. One thing that they did right, and we find it in verse 14 and 15, is that they journeyed together and they talked with each other. And I don't get the sense that they were spouting platitudes to each other. Time's a great healer. Well, when one door closes, another one opens. We've heard those. 
And you know, there is even a grain of truth in them. But whenever you're faced with devastating circumstances like that, they seem to ring a bit hollow. And I don't get the sense that they were talking that way to each other. I get the sense that they were being honest with each other, that they were sharing their hurt and their brokenness, their grief and their loss and their confusion. And there's strength in that. And God calls us to journey with each other and support each other along the way. And how tragic it is when we don't. There's a song, uh, it was <clears throat> played a lot at the end of, particularly at the end of last year. And it's a song by a guy called Andrew Hosier. He's from Ireland. And he wrote a song called Take Me to Church. And the chorus says, take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife. How tragic is that? That that is the church that Andrew Hosier sees. A church that whenever brokenness or failure or weakness or sin is sniffed out, then the, kni- the knives are drawn and the judgment starts. That's not the way it should be. If that's the kind of church that Andrew Hosier has seen, that's not the church that God designed. God says, the world will know you're my disciples. When you judge each other, no. When you criticize each other, no. When you love each other. And that's how the world will know that we're followers of Jesus. When we start to be the church that God has designed. And we're doing a series on it at the moment. The one another's. And this is just a few of them. Encourage one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Teach one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. That's how to be the community that God has designed. And there is no place for judgment or criticism, for politics or cynicism, for cruelty, for gossip. Because we need to recognize that no one is immune from tragedy from challenging circumstances that come out of the blue and knock you sideways, from temptation, which can lead us into sin and draw us farther away from God than we ever thought we would be. And no one is immune from any of those. Today, I may draw alongside you and journey with you, but tomorrow you may have to do it for me. And we need to recognize that. And so God calls us to journey with each other to support each other as these two disciples did. But I want us to notice something from this story because actually nothing really changed until verse 15 when Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And nothing really changed until Jesus joined that journey. Because hear this this morning, I can't meet your needs. 
yes, I can make a casserole and bring it to your house. I can give you a lift to hospital. I can be a shoulder for you to cry on. I can give you a hug. I can stand with you at the graveside of someone that you love dearly. I can even pray with you and for you. But I can't meet your needs. Because when you're going through something so devastating, what you need is a sure and certain hope that is set within you. What you need is a gift of faith. What you need is grace for every trial and courage to wake up and start another day. What you need is peace that passes all human understanding. And I can't give you that. Only God can give you that. And if you are struggling this morning, yes, by all means, share that struggle with someone so that they can walk with you and journey with you. But understand that you can't depend on other people. You must seek Jesus because he's the only one who's going to make a difference. And if you are one of the ones who are journeying with someone who's struggling, understand that you cannot meet their needs, that the focus of your care and love and attention for them must be to focus their eyes on Jesus. And also notice this. Jesus pursued these two disciples, and I think that is so precious. These two disciples were not the A1 specimens. To all intents and purposes, they had given up at the first hurdle. And yet see the tenderness of Jesus because he wasn't finished with them yet. And so he pursued them. They weren't seeking him. They had given up. They were on their way back home. But he pursued them. He could have taken the the attitude, well, you know what? I'm looking for stronger disciples than this. But he knew what they could be. And so he pursued them because he wasn't finished with them. And that's what Jesus does. Look at how tenderly he restored Peter. Look at how tenderly he dealt with Zacchaeus. He didn't sermonize or moralize. He came alongside them because Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt and betrayed, and broken. Listen to him on the cross as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you felt like that? Maybe you feel like that today. Jesus knows. He knows what that's like. And so he restores people with tenderness. And God wants you to know this morning that he's not finished with you either that you have value to him and you are precious to him. And he knows where you are. He knew where those disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And he went and met them. And he was walking with them a long time before they even realized it. We talk about God turning up. And I know what people mean whenever they say God turned up. I have been at conferences and church services and even praying in homes where you really sense the spirit of God. And people say God turned up. But you know what? I think it's less about God turning up than me tuning in. Because God never leaves me. Ever. 
He promised he wouldn't. And Jesus was walking alongside these disciples before they even realized it. And then, when Jesus came and joined the journey, there was revelation. And revelation came in three ways. First of all, Jesus opened God's word to them. In verse 27, and he spent time over it. It says he started from Moses and the prophets and went right up and showed them truths from God's word. I can't tell you the number of times that God has challenged me and encouraged me and given me direction and comforted me through his word. And it's precious. We need to read it more because it's God's word to us. And then Jesus opened their eyes. He changed their perspective. In many ways, things were kind of the same. Circumstances hadn't changed a huge amount. I mean, obviously, yes, Jesus was, a, was risen and that changed everything. But they still had to let go of their idea of what the Redeemer of Israel would look like. But they had God's perspective now. They saw that God was at work. And then he opened their understanding. And maybe they looked back over the journey um, and the things that Jesus had said to them on the journey. Maybe they looked back and thought, wow, he sought us out. He walked with us and revealed God's word and God's plan to us. And they got it. And that changed everything. And it happened when Jesus broke bread with them. And I love the fact we're going to finish with communion. Because as Jesus broke bread, there was revelation. And I'm praying that there's revelation for us this morning too. Because revelation from God changes everything. It changes unbelief, the unbelief of those two disciples to faith. It changes woundedness to healing, brokenness to joy, misery to hope. Fear to courage. It changed them completely. 180 degrees. Complete turnaround. And in verse 33, they headed right back to Jerusalem. Ground zero. Where everything had fallen apart in the first place. Because they were changed. There wasn't any fear anymore. There wasn't that sense of hopelessness and failure. The journey back was only a few miles Geographically, they ended up right back where they'd started. But spiritually, they were completely transformed. Completely transformed. They couldn't wait to share what Jesus had done with them. And Jesus' mandate for us is to bring that sense of change to. That was what Jesus said his mandate was when he came. And we read it in Isaiah 61. And it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Amen. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise 
instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus is all about renewal and change and transformation. And he wants us to bring that to others too. Because I don't know about you, but I see ashes and despair and brokenness and mourning all around me. But with the spirit of Christ within me, I bring his life and hope and peace and the beauty of Jesus with me. And then verse 3 of Isaiah 61. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the declaration of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the declaration of his splendor. I don't know where God is going to plant me. I don't know where he's going to plant us as a community of believers. The geography doesn't matter a huge amount. But I want to be a planting of the Lord for the declaration of his splendor. I want people to be drawn to us as they see our love for each other and our love for Jesus. And then they will be freed and saved and transformed too and planted as oaks of righteousness for the declaration of God's splendor as well. And so this morning as we enter a time of communion, I want to encourage you to join the journey. To recognize that your brothers and sisters are walking along beside you. To be attentive to their needs, to their struggles. Maybe you need to draw alongside them and journey with them for a while. But recognize that Jesus walks with us. And then I want us intentionally as we meet this morning to pray for that revelation that leads to transformation so that we can be those oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the declaration and display of his splendor. Amen. Amen.